So, um, for this talk, I'm going to not do my neurosciency psychology stuff. This is going to be a sort of a core Buddhist uh, talk on a very core Buddhist principle. In uh, Western philosophy, there's something called bundle theory. It's a, it was uh, named in around 1740 by a British philosopher named David Hume. But it describes actually something that the Buddha came up with 2,200 years previously before Hume, 2,500 years before us. Bundle theory is very simple, uh, although very profound. Uh, it basically describes how when we look at objects, we tend to focus on the entire object as a whole rather than seeing all the different properties or components that actually create an object. I'll give you an example. When, if you see a car, you'll point to the car and you say, oh, that's a, that's a Volkswagen or whatever. But actually, uh, if we don't look at it, the car as a whole, we instead can look at it in terms of it's got axles, four wheels, hopefully. Uh, it's got um, a dashboard. I, you can tell how much I know about cars. It's got a this thing and a that. It's got a windshield. Uh, it's got an engine, you know, and the engine is composed itself of different components. So you can break down components into even smaller components. If we point to a mountain, we say, oh, that's Bear Mountain, but in fact the mountain is comprised of trees and dirt and rocks and uh, animals and minerals, and um, my geology knowledge is no better than my car knowledge. <laughs> but you get the idea. We see holes, but in fact holes are, uh, the bundle theory uh, establishes, are actually just a bunch of objects that came together. Another example is my uh, iPhone there. Um, when we tell it apart, we can we look at the design, but in fact, really all it is is it's got a screen that I can touch and uh, is interactive. It's got like an on-off button. It's got a microphone and uh, it's got a case and a battery and a, and a speaker. And that's about the same thing that all other smartphones have. The thing that... Uh, I, that separates an iPhone from a Samsung, I guess, is just some design characteristics. But really, uh, it's, a, it's an artificial thing when we focus on the object and we don't see all the properties below. For example, the Buddha used this most famously when he said, uh, we establish our sense of who we are, our identity, our personality, by... Uh, putting together a lot of different aggregates uh, in his language was called khandas and he said there's five different bundles that we construct our sense of identity or who we are from the first is our feeling of our bodies right now you all have an ambient feeling of how your body feels you might have aches, discomforts and the body sensations they continue uh, and they go on and then there's feelings those senses of comfort and discomfort that change as you experience new situations in life. 
you see somebody you don't like and you might get tense, or you uh, uh, see somebody you like and you might relax. You're in a frightening situation, you might get tense. You're in a situation that's pleasant, like a beach, you might relax. So body sensations don't change with external experience. If you're in pain, you're in pain. It's not going to change whether you're on a beach or you're in a stressful external event. But feelings do change depending on the situation. So there's those two. The third is uh, our thoughts, the ideas that we have. The fourth is our consciousness that arises from all the senses. The sight and the hearing and the smelling, touching, etc. And um, but the fifth is what I'm going to be focusing on tonight. It's called perceptions. And one of the roles of perceptions is to create these bundles, these objects that we see, and to create identities and labels to focus on things and to create a sense of identity that's artificial. For example, let's use a, it's much more helpful to be concrete when we talk about uh, what perceptions are. So, uh, at work, there might be somebody that we find is helpful, and there might be somebody who we view as a pain in the ass. So we think, oh, there's that helpful person. I like that person. That's the good person my friend. And then we see, oh, there's that person that bothers me all the time. And so what we're doing is we're simply taking one very small component of that person's life and creating an entire label or an attribute for that person. In fact, the person that we like at work might be an asshole in other situations, and probably is. We all have many, many different personality traits that come out in different situations. The person that I am with you is different from the personality I have at home. I'm not sitting around in my apartment giving Dharma talks. I hope not. That would be a sign that I lost it, finally. Uh, um, so we give artificial traits. The person who irritates us at work might be somebody who gives to charities and volunteers to help the blind and uh, uh, might deliver food for God's love we deliver. And, you know, they might be perfectly wonderful, but we tend to take arbitrary things and label uh, you know, very complex experiences such as a human being with very simple attributes. This is a good person, that's a bad person. Uh, for example, another example is I, I live with three cats. Um, and anybody who ever says they own a cat is insane. Because uh, they have their entire agenda, which, has no, uh, which in no way participates in my agenda. Uh, and uh, I can see the differences in, in the, the qualities of their personality. Uh, which is uh, one of them's anxious and worried, one of them's old and preoccupied entirely with food, and one of them's <laughs> just really bossy and she preens a lot and demands laps and pushes other cats around. But these are really artificial distinctions because really from, a, from any really other perspective of somebody who comes into my ha house and has never seen them before, they're really just three cats, and they all do pretty much the same exact stuff. 
they eat, they run around like crazy for a few minutes, they shit, they lick their asshole, and they fall asleep. <laughs> and then they do that for a while, and then they demand more food. I mean, they're actually, the differences of between them are actually really artificial determinants that I add on to them. But we do this all the time. We focus on the external attributes of things, and we give things identities and labels that make it easy for us. Sometimes these labels are really useful and, and helpful. For example, um, if I see a truck barreling down a road towards me, it's good that I know that's a dangerous thing. I label that experience as that thing as dangerous, and I get out of the way. It's not helpful for me in that situation to go, well, that's not really a truck. It's a conglomeration of axles and wheels and a windshield. And, and here I am again with a car metaphor, which I know nothing about. But you get the idea. At that point, it's good to know. Or another example, um, we can tell the difference between edible and poisonous fruits. Right? So it's good to label this fruit as edible. This fruit will make me sick if I eat it. That's a perception. And yet it's a useful perception. So some of the perceptions we have in life are useful. It's We might know very well that a certain kind of laptop is good for one kind of job we do. But, that's, but sometimes the other attributes we add to that laptop, which is this is a good laptop, and all the other laptops which don't help me at my job are bad. That's an unuseful perception. It's arbitrary. It doesn't help us. It simply limits out. I'll give you another example. My dad was a, an abstract artist, and I spent a lot of my childhood being dragged around gallery shows. And whenever we'd go to abstract art exhibits, my dad would go directly to the de Kooning, and he'd stand in front of it because he loved de Kooning. And it really, he would focus on the de Kooning because it's a de Kooning, and he'd say, de Kooning is God. But sometimes the de Kooning painting wasn't very good. And the other paintings by the other artists were actually better. But my dad wouldn't hear of that. Because he was caught up in the label, the perception, de Kooning is good. So he would single out those paintings and uh, focus on them. The Buddha said that a lot of times the perceptions we add on cause a lot of suffering for ourselves. And this is what's important. All the Buddhist teachings boil down to how do we stop suffering for ourselves. So these distinctions that we do, these perceptions, these labels, these identities that we add onto things, they're a, a residue from our, our survival <coughs> needs. When we were uh, living out in the wild, it was very important to quickly label other people as friends or enemies, fruits as edible or inedible, locations as safe or unsafe. It was useful for the mind to label experience and not have to think about it anymore. Because if that's what you're trying to do, survive, being able to perceive things and label it quickly is useful. But now, as a residue of this faculty, we have a tendency to label experience and uh, write it off in ways that cause a lot of suffering. For example, um, to be concrete, when I was first uh, getting sober, if you ever go to 12-step meetings, uh, a lot of the people that um, 
you might, in my upbringing, my parents would not have taken seriously. My parents were intellectual artists, and they anybody who wasn't creative or wasn't interested in reading books and talking about philosophy was not that interesting to them. But uh, a lot of the people that were really helpful and kind to me in, when I was achieving sobriety were, you know, elevator operators. People that my parents wouldn't have, have thought of carrying the solution to achieving happiness in my life. They would have written off those people as not that helpful or not that uh, interesting. For me, those people saved my life. So, the people we can write off in our experience as, um, oh, okay, I find this person to be uh, not interesting, maybe I find them to be uh, single-minded, boring, uh, self-centered, but those are all attributes I add. They're attributes I often add, we can add very quickly. And very often when we do that, we write off people we don't see how they can become very useful or helpful to us. On the other hand, sometimes we can, vice versa, uh, establish people in our minds as our best friend forever, which I would never do because the idea of BFF is just nauseating. But, uh, but you know, if we label somebody a BFF, which I think you do at your own risk, then... The moment they don't answer your call or they become caught up in their life or they, they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend or they become involved in their work, then suddenly you're going to feel let down and deeply disappointed. These labels, these perceptions can make us believe things that aren't true, rely on things that are unreliable. In fact, the Buddha, being helpful, he had a list. Because that's what Buddhas do. They do lists. Believe me. You spend decades studying the Buddha, all you get is lists. And uh, so he said there's four kinds of misperceptions we do that cause suffering. It's in a sutta called the um, Vipalasa, and that means basically uh, perversions of perception. So here are the four. He says people tend to... Uh, create suffering by perceiving things that are inconstant or impermanent as permanent. We tend to view things that are uh, unsatisfying as satisfying. We tend to view things uh, that are arising, passing inside as the self or our, our identity. And we tend to perceive the unattractive as the beautiful. And I'll talk about all four of these and then what we can do to alleviate this, this, these tendencies that cause suffering. So, uh, viewing the inconstant as the constant is basically the example we've been talking about. We will write off people or give them attributes and then we'll be surprised and disappointed when people don't live up to the labels we've given them. We might view this person as my friend and then they might have a day when they don't act very friendly. We might have days where we view uh, uh, this situation or this experience. We might, for instance, uh, not like uh, public transportation, and we view it all as bad, and then one day we go on it, and it's okay. So we have a tendency to label 
and rely on those labels and then we don't understand that every label is simply something that is should be held very lightly at best and can always be uh, in any given situation be proven wrong. So a lot of this work is going to be about letting go of our clinging or our belief in the way we perceive things. In normal day-to-day -day life, yes, it's sometimes helpful to view certain people as helpful, certain people as unhelpful, certain uh, uh, computers, certain phones as, as useful and others as not. But very often, this tendency we take far too far and we write off whole kinds of experiences that we could do, we could explore. Um, we do that with cuisines based on single attempts to eat Korean food or whatever. We might write off, oh, it's, Korean food is not very good. Japanese food, however, is wonderful. So um, that's one. The second is we view the unsatisfying as the satisfying. And this is, um, uh, for example, a, uh, when each new uh, iPhone or iPad comes out, there's a part of me that looks at it and feels this craving. Ooh, the latest uh, iPad Air Retina. It doesn't even exist, it's so thin. It's actually toilet paper, that is. Uh, why I need that, I don't know. But we, so we, we see, when we see objects and identities, we don't really see, oh, actually what I'm lusting over is uh, just a screen, a case, an on-off button with a microphone. It's basically just like every other phone in the store. When we get caught up in the perceptions, we don't see all the underlying attributes that are really, when you look at them in and of themselves, they help us not be caught up in lust and craving. Um, the perception of impermanent inner experience as a, as a lasting identity, there's these underlying thoughts or moods we have that we tend to believe are really me. I'm really a depressed person. Whenever I feel that tired or that tightness or that, that <coughs> heaviness in the mind, that's really who I am. And all the times when we're not depressed, that doesn't count. Some people want to be angry people. They believe, I'm inherently angry. And they don't notice all the times when they're happy. Sometimes we, we believe, I'm a smart person. And then the days when we're not particularly sharp, which, believe me, happens all the time. Uh, that means something's desperately wrong. Anytime we point to any attribute of ourselves and we believe that it's lasting or provides an identity, we're basically creating splitting. And we're going to create suffering because all those experiences that don't fit our self-view are going to be threatening. And the things that do we do say are who I am, we're going to be stuck with. So if I believe I'm a cerebral person who's not extremely uh, uh, good at dancing or whatever, then when I do get into a situation where dancing would be appropriate, as you can see I'm quite good at it, uh, I, will, I will suffer. <laughs> what that is. <laughs> So, um, 
And seeing the beautiful, seeing the unattractive as the beautiful is one of my favorites. The, uh, as many monks have pointed out that I've studied with, uh, we have a tendency to focus on the external, the body, and get really caught up in who is physically attractive. We gravitate towards the young and the beautiful, and we tend to believe that they're good. And people who are old and are sick and are, um, you know, are not healthy, we tend to believe they've done something wrong. We tend to gravitate towards uh, certain physical types and gravitate towards every other thing. But really, if you unpack the external shell, just the same with the iPhone, if I pointed to you, uh, what's the name of a supermodel? Anybody know a supermodel? Name of a supermodel? Nobody knows the name of a who? Naomi Campbell. Naomi Campbell. If I held Naomi Campbell's liver right here, it wouldn't be particularly attractive. <laughs> Nor would her lungs. Her bladder would be repellent. Her, you know, the muscles beneath, you know, her skin would not be very attractive. The reason why Naomi Campbell is uh, considered to be more attractive than other people is simply due to the way we perceive the outer shell of her. It's a little bit like viewing a car as wonderful because it's painted red. Another car that's painted green might actually have a more powerful engine. I don't know how I keep getting back to the car <laughs> uh, But it might, it might drive better. It might, have, uh, it might have a more powerful engine. It might do all the things that car enthusiasts know about that... Uh, but we focus on the external. Focusing on the external of a human being is like focusing on the paint job of a car. It really doesn't in any way uh, help us. It doesn't uh, in any way point to any lasting attribute that's important. And yet we get so caught up in it. Our culture celebrates um, Brad... Brangelina. 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 So it, it celebrates that. It celebrates beauty, and it doesn't see the body for what it is, which is something that is, is prone to aging, sickness, that will become unhealthy. That is not anything to attach to. So the Buddha reminds us again and again to not see external attributes but to focus instead that things or objects are actually conglomerations of complex attributes that are changing and shifting. So getting caught up in these perceptions actually sets us up. Um, he came up with a bunch of uh, approaches to help us detach from our tendency to over-rely on our perceptions. One of them is uh, uh, Vipassana or insight, which is observing the impermanence of each situation we're in by what's going on internally in our own inner feeling states and our mind when we're experiencing a situation. We can experience, for instance, a restaurant. We might label that restaurant as good or bad. But if we examine what's going on inside, when we're at that restaurant, we might see, oh, sometimes I'm in a good mood, sometimes I'm in a bad mood, sometimes I'm 
I'm hungry, and so the food tastes better. Sometimes I'm not hungry, and so the food doesn't taste as good. All of these factors create the attributes that we give to a restaurant and how we determine whether we like it or not. If we're unaware of all the things going on internally, we don't understand why we label certain experiences as good and certain experiences bad. If I'm in a patient mood and somebody comes up to me on the street and asks, and, and, and acts oddly, if I'm in a good mood or relaxed mood, I won't write them off. I won't go, oh, who's that irritating person? But if I'm in a rush and I swipe my card at the subway and it doesn't work and then I go to the toll booth person, if there is one anymore, and uh, I ask them for help and they don't give me help, then I might label that person as a Nazi. <laughs> these are all, I'm using my own unskillful traits for these examples. So depending on our inner states, certain situations that in one mood might be completely okay and another internal state might be completely unokay. Yet we believe the perception. We believe the, oh, that's a bad restaurant because when I was there, I was in a bad mood and I wasn't hungry. Oh, that's a great restaurant. Well, really, when I was there, I was in a good mood and I was very hungry. So Vipassana insight, constantly being mindful of the inner states that are comprising experience, is very useful. The Buddha had another practice called Asubha, which is where there's lust, or where we get caught up in a person's appearance as a, a, a practice reflecting on the, the liver, the spleen. There was one famous story with Ajahn Chah, who had a novice monk who was caught up with uh, um, his ex-girlfriend, thinking about uh, thinking about his ex-girlfriend. He kept on uh, being sad because he wasn't with his ex-girlfriend and... Uh, uh, Ajahn Chah said, well, you should get her to send you a little bit of her intestine. <laughs> That'll get you. You're probably just thinking of her exterior, but you're probably not thinking of her shit or her, you know, her urine or her, you know, her organs. And this, this, uh, this actually, this perception is actually very useful because uh, we do tend to get so caught up in externals. We, and we don't see things for, the, uh, for what they really are, which is a conglomeration of organs and uh, um, bones and stuff that's aging and is just coming together for a while and then passing. Um, one of the most skillful approaches the Buddha talked about, about uh, is not just trying to get rid of or release our attachment to perceptions, but actually change the perceptions we have in a way that's very useful. And I'm going to talk about two of these. The first is Kalyanamita, which simply means surround yourself with wise people. The Buddha has a wonderful sutta where he says, those we associate with impact us, for their views are like arrows that penetrate. If we wish to avoid corruption, we should steer clear of those who are swayed by greed, aversion, and confusion. Just like a leaf 
This is my favorite part. Just like a leaf that's wrapped around a rotting fish will smell awful, or a leaf that's the same leaf that's wrapped around incense will eventually smell good, so too we take on the characteristics of the people we hang out with. He didn't use literally the word hang out with. That's my translation. Uh, in essence, what the Buddha is saying is that, like theorists like uh, Bandura and all the others that came around many years later, that we tend to pick up the views, opinions, perceptions of the people around us. If we hang out with people who are into material uh, accumulation, that view a person's value based on how much they earn or how much they have or their style, uh, then we may find ourselves falling into those views. If we hang around with people who are constantly negative, constantly writing off experience, we might find ourselves unconsciously picking up those tendencies. The philosopher Dawkins said all of our views and opinions are ideas floating around and we tend to pick up those that are voiced by the people closest to us. This is another reason why when people uh, get all caught up with uh, celebrities having, um, what do they call them, uh, packs of people that roam with them? Popper. Pop no, no, not the people who thought about Entourages, yeah, entourages. And people think, oh, that's great. I have a lot of fawning yes-men around you. That's the worst thing you could possibly do to yourself. It is to have a bunch of people surrounding you saying, oh, you're brilliant. You're so wonderful. There's no <laughs> learning in that. To be surrounded by people who validate every thought, action, thing you do is the worst choice you could ever make in your life. It's not going to make you grow as a human being. It's going to make you become blocked and, and stagnant in your growth. And yet, people constantly go towards people who are fawning. And we don't realize the damage that that does to us. So really, it's worthwhile choosing people that are um, not going to blame... There's uh, one example the Buddha uses for the right people to choose. is He says, some people blame the world for their mistakes, but and other people blame their they blame the world for their mistakes, while other people blame their suffering on their mistakes when they should blame the world. For example, uh, we might look at someone who's uh, poor and struggling, and in our culture, there's a lot of people who are brought up in unfortunate circumstances and due to absolutely no choice they've made are struggling to survive. And yet a lot of people point to uh, people who are struggling financially and say, oh, it's their life choice. They chose. These people, by the way, are called Republicans. <laughs> they, uh, they point and they say, oh, you decided, you chose to be that way. On the other hand, sometimes in life we blame the world for things that we've obviously chosen. We can blame, uh, we can actually view sometimes uh, um, difficulties, depressions, fears, um, uh, emotional states that are caused by the way we use the mind, and we can just blame it on biology or blame it on the genetics of our parents or we can blame 
uh, other elements and not see that there's a choice, that there's a decision we've often made. Now, some forms of depression do have biological genetic components to them, absolutely, but a lot of the times we tend to just write off certain things as nothing we can do about it. Finally, probably the most skillful thing we can do when it comes to changing perceptions to the skillful is practice the Brahma-viharas, which are, um, and I have to summarize this quickly, uh, but basically uh, the Buddha said, we have a tendency to view people when they approach us with suspicion. And the Buddha encouraged metta, which was remembering that all human beings at heart want to find happiness. And all human beings want is really to develop lasting peace. Some of them go about it in unskillful ways. But if we get caught up in the artificial things that distinguish human beings, rather than see that all human beings, if they found inner peace, would act skillfully, would not cause harm, then we don't have to be as defensive and write off people and be as armored and as suspicious. Another practice is karuna, which is rather when, when we see suffering, don't react to it with blame or shame or rejection, but instead with compassion. We might see somebody that's constantly caught up in their suffering, constantly going back to a, a relationship that causes pain, and we see that there's an element of choice in that, yet still the role to, the way to relate to that is with kindness, rather than to focus on the unskillfulness, to label the person as unskillful, and then to simply write them off. Mudita is the perception that somebody else's joy and happiness doesn't come at our, our expense. Happiness is not a zero-sum game. So if we can start to feel a sense of appreciation when we see somebody is happy, we don't suffer or feel threatened. Why? Why are they happy and I'm not happy? Am I doing something wrong? If they're happy, then probably they're getting things that I'm not getting. That's not good. <laughs> and finally, Upeka is the perception that sometimes uh, there are situations in life that we cannot help, and rather than get caught up trying to fix and solve, label, figure out, the best thing to do is simply to step away and to focus on the things that we can be useful with. So to summarize, the most important thing to take away from tonight's talk with is to know that the mind has a tendency to summarize uh, or to add perceptions, labels, opinions, very, just very simple um, summaries of complex experiences. We label people, we label situations, we label uh, places, we label all kinds of things in our life. And when we begin to believe those labels and not open to the possibility that they can shift or change, when we hold on too deeply to them, we cause ourselves suffering. We wall ourselves off. We become closed off to people that can be helpful, suspicious of people who can be kind. We don't see the fullness of human beings or life. And 
So any of these practices, hanging out with wise people, focusing on the underlying states that arise and pass during experience, um, focus on the Brahma-Viharas, any of these will be very helpful with that. So I thank you for listening. And now we have uh, about ten minutes.